Hello guys and welcome back to the Set in Stone podcast. We are going to be transferring ownership over the next few episodes because we have a, another project that demand demands our attention that requires. requires our attention. Hopefully they are as good as we were. And now they're going to introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Jack and I'm Avery and we will be your new cast members for the next upcoming episodes. And we hope you enjoy. Did you know Alf Bolin was actually a real person? You may have seen him on the Silver Dollar City train ride while he robs you and takes your coin. Today we're going to be talking about him and his story. Today we will be also talking about Bonnie and Clyde, their reign of terror, how long it lasted, and all of the crimes that they committed as a pair. Bushwhacker. He was estimated to have killed 20 to 30 people. He killed and robbed people to get what he wanted. When Alf was younger, he was a good kid that reflected that he might have a normal life. But a Union soldier shot at Alf and he wanted revenge. This could have been the turning point in his life. He gathered a group of men that wanted revenge and they started a little gang that Alf was the leader of. They raided areas like northern Arkansas, Taney County, and southern Ozark County. During the Civil War, Alf and his gang took advantage during the rough times and robbed and killed with no mercy. One of the murders Alf committed was Dave Titsworth. Dave was a 16-year-old boy that went to deliver letters which his family wrote to his sick father when Alf drew his pistol from his holster and shot him in the chest. Some old woman who had seen the shooting asked Alf if he was ashamed. Alf replied, get into the house and shut your mouths if you want to save your scalps. That marks 19 I've killed. Most of the people who came across Alf did not live long. Murder Rocks was the place where many travelers were killed. Through this time, the Union Army had tried unsuccessfully to track him down. Alf and his men, all experienced woodsmen, were hard raiders and knew all the trails, mountains, passes, caves, and fords on White River. Alf came to this lady's house for food while her husband was away. Her name was Mrs. Foster. Mrs. Foster and Zach Thomas helped to take down Alf Bullen. He stayed upstairs at Mrs. Foster's house for many days before pretending to be sick. On February 2nd of 1863, Bolin came to dinner, so Thomas made a small noise. Bolin heard him and ordered him to come down, threatening to kill him. Mrs. Foster explained that the man was sick and was on his way home. By the fireplace, she had placed a coulter, a long, sharp steel blade used on a plow. Seeing it, Bolin immediately came suspicious but Mrs. Foster allayed his fears by explaining that it was used as a poker to assist in the making of horseshoes. Bolin laid his pistol on the table. After a big meal of ham, potatoes, and green beans, Bolin leaned over the fire to rake a live coal into his pipe. Thomas seized the coulter and struck him in the back. They drug him into the back room, thinking he was dead, but could hear him struggling in pain. 
Thomas stabbed him many times until he was sure he was dead. They could have used a pistol because the... They could have not used the pistol because the ready-to-kill band was always near would hear. The soldiers stopped at every house along the way to Forsyth, telling everyone that the killer, Alf Bolin, was finally dead. There was a great relief. Bells rang to claim the reward. Someone has had to take his body to the United States Army Post at Ozark. About 35 miles north, by the time they reached Forsyth, the odor was unbearable, so they decided to cut off his head and carry that, proving he was dead. In Ozark, willing hand, willingly hands, willing hands. Wait, willing hands placed his head on a pole in the public square for people to see. Children threw rocks at it and women spit on it. People said that the only good thing about Alf Bolin was his death. People danced around the streets with joy, for they did not have to fear the meanest bushwhacker anymore. Who were the bushwhackers? The bushwhackers were Alf Bolin's gang. They were Missourians who fled to the back county, and they fought Union patrols. They normally ambushed them. Why did Alf kill 20 to 30 people if he was only shot at once by a Union soldier? The one shot from the Union soldier kind of triggered him, and then he kind of went crazy. Now we're going to talk about Bonnie and Clyde. Clyde was born on March 24, 1909, and was one of eight children. He was committed to the Harris School for Boys at age nine, and in Clyde's teens, he and his brother Marvin had began to rob banks and murder people. Bonnie Parker was born on October 1st in 1910. Uh, in Rowena, Texas, the second of three children to Henry and Emma Parker. The family lived comfortably off her father's job as a bricklayer, but when he unexpectedly, in 1914, Emma moved the family in with her mother in Clement City, Texas, which is now part of Dallas. Bonnie and Clyde met in Texas in January 1930. At the time, Bonnie was 19 and married to an imprisoned murderer, and Clyde was 21 and unmarried. Soon after, he was arrested for burglary and was sent to jail. He escaped using a gun Bonnie had smuggled to him, was recaptured, and was sent back to prison. Clyde was paroled in February 1932, rejoined Bonnie, and resumed a life of crime. Later in 1932, Bonnie and Clyde began traveling with Raymond Hamilton, a young gunman. Hamilton left them several months later and was replaced by William Daniel Jones in November 1932. Uncle Joe was going to the little store, West Reed Spring, called Sackinall City, to buy his weekly groceries. Bonnie and Clyde were being chased by Stone County officers with two other men. They turned off a little country road west of Reed Spring, just as Uncle Joe, a mixed Indian, was crossing the road to the store. They stopped him near a neighbor's farm and said they were lost and ordered him to get into the car and show them the way to Arkansas. The car was full of guns, and he got in the back seat between two men. Clyde was driving, and Bonnie was beside him, automatic rifle in her lap. They seemed real calm, so Uncle Joe told them to drive to the Cape Fair Road and turn toward Highway 43, which is now Highway 13, south of Reed Spring. Just before they got to the junction, in a low gap near Yoakum Pond, they saw a load of armed officers blocking the road ahead. Bonnie cursed and said, There they are. We might as well stop and have it out with them. 
They quickly got out of the car and started shooting the automatic rifles at several deputy sheriffs who dived under the car for cover as they had emptied their pistols. One of the bullets came through the windshield very close to Uncle Joe's head. Pellets from a shotgun were hitting all over the car. There was a terrible roar from the guns. About that time, several deputies in the Reed Spring Marshal drove over the hill behind them. One of the men with Uncle Joe turned his rifle on them and they backed the car out of sight. The outlaws got back into the car and gave it the gas. They ran into a ditch going around the officer's car. Bonnie and the man in the back seat showered the car with bullets as they drove by. Uncle Joe was afraid they would think he had led them into a trap and would kill him. Joe was really scared because by this time, no one was calm, but mean and hard. Uncle Joe told Clyde to turn south on Highway 43. They went about two miles and saw another carload of officers parked at the side of the highway. Clyde did not even slow down. Bonnie and the man in the back seat opened fire with rifles as they passed. The officers ran. When they got almost to Berryville, Arkansas, they stopped, gave Uncle Joe $10, and told him to get out. Luckily, they did not harm him, nor was anyone killed. But over in Joplin, Missouri, April 13, 1933, it was a different story. Officers found Bonnie and Clyde holed up in a house. Police and office patrolmen closed in, and the Barrow gang came out shooting as usual. Clyde was shot in the leg by a state patrol officer, but two of his fellow officers were killed before the outlaws escaped. This had been the end of Bonnie and Clyde's reign of terror. The pair had performed bank robberies and automobile thefts. In addition to the automobile theft charge, Bonnie and Clyde were suspects in other crimes. At the time they were killed in 1934, they were believed to have committed 13 murders and several robberies and burglaries. Barrow was suspected of murdering two police officers at Joplin, Missouri, kidnapping a man and a woman in rural Louisiana. He released them near Waldo, Texas. Clyde allegedly murdered a man at Hillsborough, Texas, committed robberies at Lufkin in Dallas, Texas, murdered one sheriff and wounded another at Stringtown, Oklahoma, kidnapped a deputy at Carlsbad, New Mexico, stole an automobile at Victoria, Texas, attempted to murder a deputy at Wharton, Texas, committed murder and robbery at Abilene in Sherman, Texas, committed murder at Dallas, Texas, abducted sheriff and the chief of police at Wellington, Texas, and committed murder at Joplin and Columbia, Missouri. Okay. Why did Clyde and his brother start to rob banks and murder people? Clyde and his brother grew up poor, and as we know, Clyde was a corrupt individual, and he and his brother both had that if-I-can't-have-it-no-one-can kind of mentality, which could have led to Clyde's actions. How long was Bonnie and Clyde's reign of terror? After Clyde was paroled in 1932, he resumed a life of crime with Bonnie until they died in 1934. We hope you enjoyed this episode. I also hope you enjoyed us as your new cast members. Have a good rest of your day, and we'll see you in the next episode. We would like to give credit to the FBI website and the Ozark Mountain Country Branson book. These were very helpful during this episode for their information. Thank you.